Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you unlock your potential freedom through land investing, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Apke. Today, we are with Daniel Apke and Matt P. How do you say your last name, Matt? Pam Phyllis. Pam Phyllis. I didn't want to butcher it there. But today, we're talking about all about building a million dollar a year land flipping business. It sounds more difficult than I think than it actually is, Dan. We talk about this quite a bit, I think, but just what a million dollar a year business looks like. Let's first talk about guys, blind offers in terms of acquiring. Let's start with the acquisitions. What does it look like from an acquisitions perspective? How much mail are we sending? Dan, you want to kind of tuck, take that away and kind of explain just the blind offer method that we do? Yeah. So typically, and Matt can touch on this after, but typically we like our bread and butter from day one has been blind offers. So we're sending out two vacant landowners, a blind offer, which essentially says, hey, Matt, I want to buy your five acres for $55,000 in Hamilton County, Ohio. There's that. And then there's neutral letters. And there's a few other methods as well that we use. But blind offers has been the bed and butter. It's been the best ROI. It's been easier on the processes. Like we're talking about the infrastructure. Yeah. You need to build a million dollar business in this episode. And blind offers really, really minimizes your your overhead in terms of like your callbacks and taxes. So blind offers has always been the best ROI for us, Ron. Yeah, well, I'll dumb it down a little bit. So we are buying land at 40 to 45% of market value. So we buy for 40,000, sell for 100. Typically it's flipping as is. Sometimes we do subdivide stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we send those letters out, everything like that. What's your experience been with blind offers, Matt? Is that Are you sending any other types of letters out or are you just sending blind offers right now? Yeah, it's just blind offers right now. So that's where I would say like 90% of our deals yeah. are coming from. Uh, we get some from various other marketing channels, but it's a majority from uh, direct mail. And these are all like very hot leads. Um, you know, they're inbound. So yeah. they're already, you know, they got our letter. Uh, they understand what price we're, re- we're willing to offer. Uh, and they have some motivation of wanting to move forward. So um, those are the best leads that I'm, I'm seeing. And Dan, I remember when we were doing, like when we were around a million dollars a year, like you'll still be like, if you're doing blind offers and doing it the way we teach it, like you'll still be like, not bored at times. I don't want to say bored, but it's not like you're going to be busy and crazy busy all the time if you're doing the right size deals, right? Yeah, exactly. Where you do get a little busy is when like the acquisitions just build up over time in yeah. terms of your funnel, like the interested people, the 90 day follow up. And, and once you start building that pipeline, you can get more busy, but it was hard, like multi-million dollar business. Uh, it was hard to keep a salesperson busy with blind offers. So we started implementing cold calling. We was calling 90 people a day, an American six-figure employee. We had calling, you know, 90 phone calls a day on top of, you know, the 30, 40,000 mailers we were sending. It was really hard to keep a full-time salesperson busy. It's difficult because like you send 20,000 mailers a month, you get 120 to 180 calls somewhere in there. So it's not a crazy amount of leads. They will stack up, but for a full-time person, for a full-time salesperson, if you're just doing blind offers, it's probably, you need to spend, you need to send 30 to 40,000 a month, I think. You need a lot. And that's why you <laughs> to need keep to get them. texting in. That, but that's what's yeah. so good about land is because you can, like the blind offers in general, you can have a full-time job and do this and make seven figures. Like, were we still working when, I know I wasn't, were you still working when we were making seven figures? No, not really. I mean, towards the beginning, maybe a little bit, but we were doing, we started making 80, 90, $100,000 a month. And I don't know, I was doing a lot of other stuff and not just yeah. land. Yeah, exactly. What's your experience with blind offers, Matt? Um, yeah, like I said, that's definitely like our main uh, form of marketing at the moment, but we also do SMS because like you said, um, you know, it's not really too time intensive Yeah. for, uh, you know, direct mail. There's the front end of pricing mailers and getting everything prepped. But then once you send it out, there's a lag period of, you know, 10 days before it starts hitting. So like within that time period, unless you like have a lot of mailers that are 
you know, you're sending consistently where you're starting to get more inbound calls. There are a lot of lulls. So, um, like I, I do SMS just to keep myself busy and, mm-hmm. uh, make sure that we're getting more leads in and maximizing all of our data. So if someone's just starting this business, Dan, would you even have them mess with SMS or something? Let's say they have $20,000 in marketing money. Um, no, not if they have 20,000, the less money you have, the more you want to focus on SMS and cold calling, the more money you have, the, le- the less you want to focus on SMS and cold calling. You want to do blind offers. That's just how it is. I so, mean, you yeah. know, you want to get the most return for the least amount of time. It's it's not even close. Yeah, and we're talking in this episode about making a million dollars in a year. So you're starting right now. If you have funds behind you, like there is no reason just not to. You don't want to oversend when you're first starting too. We see that mistake quite a bit from people who jump in and send twelve thousand mailers their first month. And then they're like, okay, they don't know what to do when they get these leads. They don't know how to close deals. Yeah. And you're sending 7,500 right now a month. Yes. And your plans to make seven figures. Yes, exactly. That's like, you don't need to just jump in and, and Matt's so aggressive with all the, his leads and everything. And that's what you want when you want to be still aggressive. When you jump to 15, 20,000 mailers like that, you're going to have an influx of leads coming in and you stop looking at everyone like it's unique and you let some slip through the cracks and it just happens by nature. You want to kind of ease into that, I think. Yeah. So what do you think like a starting point is in terms of mail per month? I think 5,000 is good. You agree? Uh, yeah, I would say that's a pretty good amount. Yeah, so 5,000, you're going to get 35, 40 calls a month. Um, you should get two deals, three deals a month, I would think. Some deal, some months, like we talked about last episode, some months you might have one deal, some months you might have zero deals on 5,000 mailers. But at scale, it's going to work like that. And then as you learn, the learning curve, and you, I mean, you're just 12 months in, the learning curve is so steep at the beginning where it's like, at first you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to evaluate a deal. And the biggest thing I see with people just starting, which is fine, is that you s- spend so much money on bad deals. They don't know how to throw out bad deals. But as that learning curve goes, you can be so much more efficient with your time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, <laughs> I didn't know if you're talking to me or Matt there. Matt, you want to take that? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that entirely. I think it's when you're getting started with anything, it's like you put this one deal on a pedestal and it's like, I really want to make this happen because like I remember my first mailer, it was a terrible county in Maryland. It was all wetlands. I'm like, these are, this is awesome. I'm actually like getting calls back. This is real. Yeah. Cause like direct, I'd never done direct mail. Yeah. So like that was cool to see this new marketing channel work, but I tried to make every single deal happen. And honestly, like none of them were good for that particular mailer. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of calls back, but um, I would definitely agree with you by saying like, do the due diligence as quickly as possible because then you can start to get better at due diligence and like there's only a few things that you're really considering when looking at a property. Yep. Like you guys do the calls and like you look at hundreds of deals like uh, every quarter, right? But you know, when you're just starting out, like there's a couple things that matter and like just, you know, is it too sloped? Is it too wet? You know, and the utilities. But once you figure that out and can parse through deals more quickly, you mm-hmm. can like more quickly get rid of the bad yep. things and focus on the good. Yeah. People get way, way too hung up on these deals too. I see it all the time. And then some people will bring it to a call and then we'll be like, this is awful, the slope, whatever it is. And then you'll see it on a call like a month later, they're still trying to push it through. And it's like sometimes, but I like that mentality too, because they are being aggressive and they're taking every lead seriously and they want to make, we were like that at first, like a hundred percent. So I understand where they're coming from, but it's the energy. Like sometimes you just need to put that lead away, go to the next and focus on that. There's so much land out there. How many parcels are on? Uh, 158 million, right? We just bought them all, right? Yeah, we we just bought them all with the lamp. But uh, yeah, I I think that's a huge key, but it's such a learning process when you guys are going through your first, second, third deals as you're doing due diligence, stuff like that. So it is a huge learning process, but two, three months down the line, you're gonna be like, why was I looking at that deal for 
a week, two weeks. Some people let deals hang on. And we cut that out probably six months into our business when we first started this business was we really focused on like, okay, let's get rid of crap leads, crap deals. And Daniel was doing the sales for us then. Uh, and that really helped us scale. It's just like not have any like maybe deals. Like it's what do we, what, what moves the deal forward or what just cancels the deal out? And th- one of those decisions need to be made, either something moving forward or something stopping. But yeah. Dan, what about the, uh, sorry, oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I would just say like one caveat to that go is for that it. like, for like, I, I had a deal that we did this past year, uh, and it looked landlocked like from the surface, mm-hmm. but upon further due diligence, like I found out that there was an easement and we ended up getting a great deal on it from the buy side with the seller and we made like 80 grand on it. So like due diligence is really important and you can find diamonds in the rough, mm-hmm. but like not spending too much time on like bad deals mm-hmm. is like the main takeaway in my opinion from Real quick, guys, you know that I don't run any ads on this, so the only ask I can ever have with you guys is to help me spread the word so that we can help more real estate entrepreneurs make more money, help feed their families, and help achieve more freedom in their life. The only way we can do this is if you rate, review, and share this podcast. So the single thing that I ask you to do is if you could just leave a review, it would take only 10 seconds. It would mean the world to Ron and I, but more importantly, it may change the world of someone else. So what are your thoughts on like the other acquisition methods, Dan? Like we talked about our salesperson was cold calling some. We talked about text messaging. What are your thoughts on the other acquisition methods? I mean, this is stuff that's been, especially cold calling. Cold calling has been around since the phone was invented. You know, it's just, it's something that's been around. It's not going away there. You can definitely, the, the name of the game, I've said this a million times, is to get land under market value, right? To get it at 40, 50, 60%, whatever your business model is. And you can do that through just reaching out to landowners. You can reach out to landowners through like we're saying, a blind offer. So mail, you have texting, you have people are doing Google PPC, you have SM or uh, cold calling and all those. The pillars in my mind are mail, SMS, and cold calling. Those are like the three pillars that I, I've just seen very, very sustainable from this. I'm not saying Google PPC and those other methods can't work. I just haven't seen it proven yet to that extent. And those are the, like, I think like there are people stuck at three, four, five $500,000 a year of gross profit and they just don't know how to get to that next hump. And sometimes like I, I ask them, I say, do you have time? Like how much time do you have? How aggressive are you? And if they're, they have a good amount of time and they want to put everything they have into it, I'll get them into follow-up texting. Like that's the first thing we do. And then you can take that. And I think it, you can double your business off just taking those text messages or the, the data that you already have from mail and just implementing it into your SMS campaigns. Follow-ups. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have, you have cold text or you have follow-up text. I think when, when building a million dollar a year business, like it's not, like we said, we can do it with purely blind offers, but sending a follow-up text as well. Have you done those, Matt, as far as follow-up texts? Are you doing that right now? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, generally our process is to send mail and then we'll follow up with yep. the text just to say, Hey, did you get an, get our, uh, you know, offer letter? And again, we're doing this at a mass, mass scale. Like it's not hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. month, but like I have a template and it's, you know, we reach out to these people and the same kind of messaging, just like, Hey, did you get our message? Just another touch point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're definitely doing that. That's what it's all about. He said another touch point. Did you notice that verbiage that he used? That's all it is. Like the more we can touch these landowners, the more eventually you're going to hit them and they're going to have a life circumstance come up where they can't sell their land or they need to sell their land or whatever it is. Like you hit them now doesn't mean they're not going to want to sell in a month, two weeks, six months, whatever it is. And some people come into this business and like, it's easy at first. Maybe they get a deal, a really good deal, their first 2000 mailers, something like that, make $50,000. And then they kind of lose that urge because they think every deal is going to be that easy. You need to be fighting for deals, whether it's follow-up texting, multiple touch points has been a thing in sales. You talked about sale, 
all these things being around forever, multiple touch points is a real thing. And the more you touch people, the more you have a chance of getting a deal. <laughs> For a long time, people thought like land was the exception. You don't yeah. need multiple touch points. That's not true at all. Like you keep touching these people and things change. It's the same reason why you're getting deals in some of these counties in South Carolina where I've seen five other people get deals. You sent mail, you had a good price, you were aggressive, you were good on the phones. They've seen five other letters, those people, 10 other letters some of the times, you know? Why are they selling to you? It's the right time. You touch them at the right time. You're following up. Everything leads to that sale. Is it, does that ever scare you, Matt, when you see like, because a lot of people coming in, like see someone else uh, in South Carolina in a region they're in, like, does that ever scare you seeing other people sending mail to certain areas that you are in? No, not really. I mean, like I've wholesaled houses in Tampa, Florida. Like yeah. this is a really <laughs> densely, densely populated yeah. area and like we can still do deals. So, I mean, it's nice that this business model doesn't have like an insane amount of competition currently. So like, no, it doesn't really scare me because, you know, competition means that it's a healthy market. Yeah. Um, so no, I had so many people come in and like, that is, and if one other person is in the County or something like that, and we, we talked about it a it's lot one of the main objections. Yeah. Yeah. People in like, we saw one County in Georgia where we had three members send mail to within like two weeks and they all got deals. Yeah. Shelby, Chris, and uh, another guy. And they all three, I think Chris got three deals. Shelby yeah. got two and I can't remember the third, but people they all made got a lot deals, of money. Literally within a few weeks still. Yeah. You have different acreages. You have different price points when you're pricing out. Man, there's so many different people things. People don't open every envelope either. Like I don't open up any of my envelopes <laughs> at my house. <laughs> if you think it's a bill, That's you open it. says IRS yeah. on it. <laughs> but going to the, like the disposition side, so selling the land. So if you're trying to make a million dollars, I think 25,000 is pretty average for profit, Dan. So if we say that, that's really only 40 deals a year to make a million dollars, not some crazy amount of money. 40 deals to make how much? A million dollars, $25,000 each. Which is how many a month? 3.3. So a little three to four deals. Is that doable in this business, Matt? Yeah. I mean, I'm not currently doing that at the moment, but I mean, we intend on getting there. I would say it's pretty You've seen the months where you've done it though. Yeah. Yeah. If you stayed consistent at those months, obviously. Did you have two in a row? Two deals in a row? Uh, Two six-figure months in a row. Oh, no, no. We, uh, no, we did, uh, I think like 60 something in November, 100 and I don't have the exact numbers offhand, but That's 100 on uh, December and then I think we'll do like 85. That's very good. So you're getting there. You're very close. And yeah. you're doing that primarily through blind. Are you, so that's what I also wanted to ask. So you're doing a lot of blind offers, 7,500, and you're doing follow-up. Are you doing any cold text without offers at all anywhere? Like your first touch is a cold well, text? Uh, no, I don't think so. Like I don't send an actual offer to them. It's just, hey, Lance, right. yeah. hey, John, this is Matthew. To get them talking. Yeah, so we just get them talking. And then if we can get them on the phone, that's ideal. Like I just hit a, um, I did a cold text on a county and we're going to lock the deal up today, hopefully. Um Nice. Like he didn't respond to my letter, but he responded to my text. So who knows if he saw your letter connected him? That's what you never, that's so hard to track. Mail's hard to track. And does that ever kill you? That kills me. It always killed me with mail, how hard it is to just track. Like you can track your calls, but you don't know open rate. It's like when you send out texts, it gives you all these different data points. And with mail, you're like, did my mail even go to these people's houses? We're trusting on the USPS government to send our mail. Um, And it's just a bit, it's hard to track that data. And that's what I like about texting too. It's like a, on off switch you can just really put on anytime so what does that deal look like that you're closing up from text my offer uh based on my original pricing was like twenty seven thousand five hundred was the offer price he said thirty thousand and it's done um and i'm i'm just gonna put a 60-day closing period on it and try and resell it so i think it'll be like 50 to 55k as a resale so i mean that those numbers make sense for a double close for sure um, there's also timber on it. So like, it's a good investment for somebody. Yeah. So I think it'll move quick. Yeah. Do you ever get a, uh, have you ever gotten or seen a timber appraisal? Like a cruise, like a timber cruise? 
Is that what it's called? It's called a cruise. Yeah. yeah. I um I was looking at a six hundred acre property. I, I remember think, that, yeah. Yeah, we, we were that's what that it together. was. Right. I remember that. And that was actually to go back to our original point of trying to make deals happen, I definitely spent a lot of time on that one because it's like, okay, if I can get this for one point five, we can sell it for three point two. So I definitely had that kind of uh putting the deal on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um it ended up not working out because he wouldn't accept a price that made sense. But right. uh, he got a cruise on it because he was like wanting to determine what the exact timber value was. Yeah, smart, smart. Interesting. What um what you, when you say texting, um, let's go into that a little bit because I want to see what like because we're talking about building a million dollar business, right? So what is your VA doing? You have one employee right now, correct? Yeah. What's he doing in this process? Um, so he's responsible for handling mostly everything in launch control. Mm-hmm. Um, texting platform. Yeah, it's our texting platform. So basically, he's going to you know upload our lists to Launch Control, uh, start sending batches of text messages, handle all inbound leads, uh, properly disposition them, meaning like, is it a hot lead? Is it a warm lead? Do we yep. need to nurture it? Does Do we need to put it on a drip campaign? Do I need to tag Matt in this so that he follows up because I don't know how to respond to it? Um, he does that kind of stuff. And if it's uh, like a warmer hot lead, then he'll push it to Airtable. Uh, our CRM. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we'll just continue the process of like doing due diligence on the property and reaching out to the seller and trying to lock it up. But he's more so involved on preliminary outreach to these property owners and then getting them warm enough where they can be pushed to me where I can make a follow-up call. Um, but I'm excited for this new virtual assistant because he's very uh, experienced. So Seems motivated. Like, yeah. He wants to like start a, you know, a division of cold callers mm-hmm. within the company, which is cool to like take that initiative. Yeah, I mean, I just hired him yesterday. It's cool to have that vision though. Yeah, it's cool. But um, yeah, he's, he's, he's good for sure. Yeah. I, I want to talk. So Matt's getting like, that's Matt's plans to hit a million dollars this year using texting, using blind offers and everything kind of in combination with each other. When Ron and I hit a million dollars our first time, we were only doing blind offers. We didn't even do not neutral letters. We just yeah. did blind offers. So for the purpose of this episode, let's talk about our infrastructure there. Um, because we, the first person we hired, we had a VA kind of come on this almost the same time yeah. as a transaction coordinator, which were two, in my opinion, looking back, like I would do the same thing over again from that perspective. Yeah. So we had a VA who was going to take little things off our plate, scrubbing, stuff like that. And we're probably sending eight to 10,000 mailers a month. I would think of this time then when we started that. And the transaction coordinator was just, I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to do due diligence. I didn't want to talk to title companies. I remember the first hire, the first hire American W2 hire, it's a difficult hire. Like mentally, I think it is like you're bringing them on, but how much it took off our plates was unbelievable. You could focus on sales more. I could focus on getting more mail out the door and scaling our business. But yeah, I mean, that's what it looked like, Dan. It wasn't anything crazy. We had a lot. We did not make a lot of money when we brought on our first hires either. Like we, we weren't making, we we weren't. Like, I don't know if we were really making any, but we saw the pipeline and we saw like the trickle effect start to happen. And we were so confident and we were just kind of like, let's rip it. And, and we we're living cheap too. Like I was in a, yeah, we were living, really my cheap. mortgage was next to nothing. And you were, I think I you were the business. So I didn't really, but care. you were also house hacking, right? Yeah. Uh, when we started, yeah, it was, you're right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you had no expenses too. So we're just, we're reinvesting in the business too. And then we brought those two employees on and then from there, we hit six or seven figures. And then to get to that next level, we, we brought on, um, what else did we bring? Sales, sales salesperson. Uh, so that's really all we needed. Cause then it was me, Ron, salesperson, TC, virtual assistant. So just five at yeah. that point to do that. Yeah. And then you can really scale from there. We didn't, the thing that we were missing at that point, uh, I think was we had a data person. When did they come in? Uh, no, they weren't there then. 
you didn't need a data person. So I think the one thing we were missing looking back was that we talked about this on the call, Matt, was that marketing person, someone who could not only price the mail, that's such a one-sided business model. I think yeah. if you just hire someone to price mail, someone who could oversee the whole marketing scheme from getting the contacts, picking the market, um, executing on the mail, they're sending them out, analyzing the data coming back. The whole marketing sphere, I think, instead of looking at one one little role. Yes, they can price mail too, maybe, mm-hmm. but that's kind of easy to outsource, I think, in general now. I used to have a whole different philosophy on this until we kind of learned the the hard way from it. But looking back, that's then we talked about this in our last episode. That's kind of the process we'd go is that marketing person. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I mean, hiring those people, like we we freed up so much of our time. Then we like, you were just worrying about sales, Dan. Uh, I think I was selling the properties on the disposition side, but it just it, it just made that so much easier to scale. You do not need employees to do a million dollars a year. No, you really don't. And especially if you have a partner, do a, a v, one VA. For sure. And you, but you can buy back, like that's the thing if you listen to the last episode, you can literally buy back your time and see what, because what, if you're if it's just you and you're making a million dollars, you're $500 an hour. So let's just think a little smarter than what we're, you know what I mean? That's outsource some, you're busy. You're making 500 an hour and very, very busy. That's in a 40 hour work week, but a million dollars, $500 an hour. So start outsourcing some of those mundane, cheap uh, tasks that you can just get off your plate. And that's kind of what you're doing right now, Matt. I think, I think you're doing it the right way, Matt, because you've always talked about, and you can touch a little more on this, like you're trying to stay lean as a company. I don't know if you're trying to say hundred percent VAs or what that looks like, but uh, touch base on that because your goal for 2024 is million dollars profit you have one employee, you want to stay lean. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I think ideally having virtual assistants is the way that I want to go. Um, my philosophy also might change on that and I might, you know, bring on an American person, but like you can get very high quality talent from people overseas and it doesn't really make sense to not consider that as like a feasible option. Um, but yeah, I mean, I want to bring on, I want to get my current, uh, employee fully up to speed and, you know, uh, hit the ground running probably next week. Um, he'll be trained up on everything. And then I would say transaction coordinator, uh, is the next hire just because, you know, same thing with like, if you see where the pipeline is going to be with the amount of volume that we're doing, I want somebody who's going to be taking like the menial tasks of communicating with the title company and like reviewing HUDs and all these, like, you know, all this paperwork stuff. Uh, along with like dispoing deals, that's more so you, you mentioned this on a call of ours, that that's more of like a, a customer service type role. Um, like there's obviously negotiating that goes into that, but like for the most part, it's yeah, it is. customer service. So offloading that is going to free up more, like even more time. But yeah, that would, I would say that's the the next person that comes on. What do you see like the, the task you were doing that was the most annoying, lowest value task that you had on your plate? What do you think was the most value thing to just push to them right away, your VAs? Um, well, my current VA, I would say like preliminary market research is something that I really don't like doing. And it's a very easy thing to like push off mm-hmm. because it's like, there's like four metrics that we need to like hit. Okay. You just look at the state that we want to do marketing in and then pull the count. It's just like data pulling really. So that's something. And then just sending text messages out. I don't like, I just had him revise an Excel sheet of like our KPI trackers for this past year. That's just like literally copying and pasting yeah. like a thousand different things. And I, yeah. he did it in like two hours where, I mean, you know, that's worth $10. I just yeah. paid him essentially $10 yeah. to do that. And if my time, if I want to make a million dollars, my time is worth 500 an hour. Should right. I spend a thousand dollars on this task or two, $10 on this task? Plus you said you don't like it. So you're looking at it from like a, almost an energy perspective. Like we also talked about 
you're looking at it from that aspect rather than yeah. within combination with the ROI on the, yeah, a thousand percent. Like he did that. I actually went to the gym at that time. So yeah. like it would have detracted my yeah. energy, like physically in yeah. my actual body by doing that. So, and I noticed I have a lot more time in my day. I have more time than I have energy. Sometimes I just get you do these horrible tasks. You don't want to do all the time. And I've been in those spots, especially when I had my old e-commerce business, I would be doing so many different tasks and it's like, it would only be two or three o'clock, but I'm entered like from an energy perspective, I'm drained. Cause I just was doing so many different things that I didn't want to do. And then I started outsourcing. You can feel like you, you do buy back your energy too. Yeah. You're buying back your time. You're buying back your energy. You can go to the gym. You can do higher level things. You can put it in the different buckets that make the business drive forward. Like you said, like the leadership buckets, the marketing buckets, the, um, everything that the sales bucket that really drives the business to seven figures. So many entrepreneurs businesses are stalled because they don't really understand that. Like they don't understand like I could hire this for $10. This two hour task I could hire for $10 for someone to do it just as well as what I would. What's your day look like, Matt, right now in terms of like, like, like I've said, like you're trying to do a million dollars this year. You have one VA. You've told me before, like, I'm not that busy. Like those, that's your quote. Um, is that still the case? Yeah, I would say it is like after this, I don't know what time it is like 3 PM. I'm probably going to go to the gym and then yeah. maybe I'll get home later and do some like miscellaneous work. But, um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't really wake up that early. I'm trying to wake up a little bit more early around yeah. like seven, um, which people might say that and laugh, but um, trying to wake up at seven, do some like deep work type yeah. stuff. Um, kind of deep work. I, I just like some of our quarterly rocks, yeah. um, just like higher level stuff that I don't necessarily want to like do during the day where like I could do, you know, yeah. phone calls and stuff like that. Um, so just time, just it's a time of the day where I have more time, if you will. And but, you've outsourced, um, you've outsourced pricing pretty much completely to us or pretty, I I, I don't know how much, if it's a hundred percent or close to a hundred percent that you've outsourced yeah. to us, correct? Yeah. I wasn't very good at pricing. I mean, there were some counties that I priced myself and I got deals from, but like, again, it comes back to the energy aspect of like, do I really want to spend 10 or six hours, however long yeah. it takes, do I want to spend this much time pricing this or should I just, you know, outsource this? It, it'll cost me more, but you know, in the long run, it will save me time and there's less margin for me to make mistakes if I like outsource it. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's really only a couple of things that move the needle in this business. And I think that's what you're doing a really good job focusing on. You have anything else to add, Dan? No, only the other thing I really have to add is when you start to outsource, when you're getting on the road to making a million dollars a year, just make sure you're outsourcing the low value task and then spend your time on the things that are going to get you that million dollars, like focusing on your sales and your leads and leadership and everything else that really drives the business. Cause you don't want to just buy back your time. Like we're talking about and then allocate your time to the wrong things. You want to be allocating the things that really move the needle in this business. That's the last thing I wanted to say. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it guys. If you guys have not already, please like, and subscribe our YouTube channel. It really, really helps spread our mission forward. Other than that, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks guys. Thank you for joining. If you guys have not, please leave us a review on Apple podcast. It really helps our business grow and we really, really appreciate it. But other than that, guys, thank you for joining and we'll see you next episode. Thanks, guys.